Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back. This is going to be a super important, super exciting, and it's something that's missing in our industry is actual conversation and dialogue around real issues. We're not talking about academic things you can find from a book or good clinical practice uh, framework that you can get trained on and get a certificate. This is real stuff, practical stuff. How to use, in this case, clinicaltrials.gov, what it's for, what it's really for. We all know it's for patients, but then how sites use it. And I have two guests on, Robert Goldman, the first guest. He's a study director from a biotech company. He has decades of experience in this industry uh, from the sponsor CRO side. Amongst many things is site selection, one of the main things that he does. And then I have Rod Raphael from Investigators Research Group in Indianapolis, Indiana, who both guests have been on many times. They've never been on together. So I'm really happy to get both of you guys on at the same time. And we're just going to riff and go back and forth on this topic. It's interesting. Maybe we'll all learn some something, myself included, all of us. We could pick up a thing or two, help us communicate better, work better in the industry. At the end of the day, we're all stakeholders. Um, going for the same outcomes, right? Before we get into that for sites, all right, you got to digitize your e-regulatory, your investigator site file. Viva, thank you, Viva, for being the sponsor of the show. Viva's got absolutely free, no contract required, electronic investigator site file. So you can, I know most sites still haven't switched to anything. They're still using paper. You can actually digitize your, your electronic regulatory. Not only is it easier for remote monitoring and all that, but the way Viva has it, because Viva partners with over 450 sponsors that are already using Viva for all their stuff, it's passive. So you put something in there, you share it with the sponsors that you allow to share it with, meaning the ones you have studies with, and they'll know when you're ISF has been updated. So no more emails from monitors saying, where's this log? Where's that log? None of that stuff. Plus, to add, uh, I guess, cherry on top, right? Sites, when you join this thing for free, Viva Site Vault, you get added to the list where Viva shares your info with sponsors. Because this is kind of biz dev talk that we're going to get into. So that's another way to do it. So thank you, Viva, for sponsoring the podcast. And thank you to both guests, Robert and Rod. Let's get into it, guys. Thank you both for coming on. Always a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dan. So let's start with Robert first, because Robert, thank you for this topic. Robert's a study director. Robert is somebody who uh, everybody should follow. Same with Rod. By the way, both of their LinkedIn's will be underneath this video. And if you're listening in the show notes, Robert posted something on LinkedIn today that I kind of read as I was leaving. And then I was like, oh man, this would be great to like actually do a podcast on because Robert's from the unique position of sponsor side and people like myself and Rod, we're on the site side. So we're in charge of getting studies for our sites, helping our clients get studies for themselves. A lot of them are new, but sites like myself and Rod, you know, we've been doing this for a while. So we all know clinicaltrials.gov is not meant to be a business development tool. You're not going to get the argument from me. 
I'm the first one to say it. Matter of fact, on my videos where I teach sites how to use clinicaltrials.gov to find studies. So, Robert, you might hate, you <laughs> might hate me after that video. Uh, but we'll get into some nuances. I tell them this is not for getting studies. So keep in mind, like your response rate is not going to be that high. 90% of the time I send somebody a blind message from clinicaltrials.gov, I don't hear it back. But we do it for that 5 to 10% of the time because it does work. And we'll get into some of the nuances, how what you should send. I tend to send just a paragraph, no attachments, because when you send attachments, it goes to spams most of the time. So just a paragraph. This is what we do. This is our valley prop. I would love it. And I'll actually read live on the air one that I sent last week just to see. Um, but thank you, Robert, for bringing up this topic. I guess we'll start with you because this is a pain point of yours, actually. And you've mentioned it a few times. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> listen, I, Dan, we've actually talked about this before a while ago. Um, you know, we, we touched on it lightly, but, you know, I come back from Thanksgiving to the computer, I launch it up. And I had, I must have had two dozen, you know, s sending them on Thanksgiving, on Friday after Thanksgiving, all the way through the, through the, through the end of the week, you know, of of study inquiry requests. And and you know, this happens daily, right? We we've talked about this actually. When you and I were in person, when I was at your site, mm -hmm. um, when we were talking, I was like, Dad, I get hundreds a month, and you're like, hundreds? I didn't believe it was hundreds a month. That's crazy. Hundreds, you know. And, and you're a small biotech. You're and not we're like a, a big yeah, like Pfizer. Exactly. We're a small biotech. And, and I think that's the problem because a lot of the contact information for large biotech is exactly like Brad mentioned on the post. You know, if, if I see clinical trials at whatever company, you know, dot com, he's on he's more like less likely to actually reach out to that because he knows it's just going to fall into a box with, you know, 100 other requests. Unfortunately, with mine, you know, I'm listed as the primary point of contact for the study. And the reason I don't want to change it is because, you know, I have had over a dozen patients in the past year. It's not a huge return, but I actually take the time out of my day to put in the site name, the investigator name, the main study contact at that site, email, phone number. So it makes it easier for patients to actually participate because they do go on the site for the right reasons. And from my perspective, you know, so I want them to benefit from the actual intended use of the site. The opposite side of that is all of these vendors and prospective sites who are breaking in the industry, whether they have a track record, whether they don't, I don't know, but they reach out and I think Brad nailed it in my post. It's really the tone in which they reach out to you. It's like a demand. Hey, I'm so-and-so. We have this many investigators. They, they tout you know, that some of them will send over them, you know, an informational sheet. We have X amount of years. We have this database. We have this centrifuge. We have this freezer. We do or do not have PK experience. We have this phase through this phase through this phase. We have dedicated coordinators, dedicated recruitment. And it sounds phenomenal, right? I mean, it's a great infrastructure. But then I'm thinking to myself, if you have this type of infrastructure, why are you reaching out and, and running your leads this way? If you have high quality and you have this type of infrastructure, repeat business. I mean, Rod can probably touch on this. 
is, is a sure thing in a sense, right? You have a good relationship with a sponsor. I'm going to award you study after study after study, as long as you know, you're willing to, you have the patient population, you're willing to work with us. Right. So it, it's a double, I mean, I just, I, I don't understand. And, and, you know, again, not to keep saying what Brad said on my post, but it just goes to show the measures in which sites are taking to win business. And quite frankly, it's not, I don't have any confidence in these type of sites. I would never in a million years entertain them. And I don't mean to say that in a rude way because I've been burned, you know, by selecting sites that the CRO doesn't have experience with, that we don't have experience with, that don't have a proven track record of success. Now, a proven track record of success doesn't mean anything these days because I'm working with a lot of sites who 10 years ago were phenomenal in the pain space and now they're... (laughs) They're not showing up to the ball game. You know what I mean? So these things happen. But at the end of the day, I'm just, it's, it's alarming to see the misuse of the intended use. That's a tongue twister of clinicaltrials.gov from my perspective. Again, this is just my opinion, you know, and being on the receiving end of these countless amounts of emails, I like to be respectable. And I like to take time out of my day to at least acknowledge and respond because that's the right thing to do. We're a small company. And as we grow and develop our pipeline, maybe we will work with one of these sites by proxy one day. I don't know. So I never want to burn a bridge. You know, we have a, we're a small industry, as we always say, right? We always want to leave a good taste in each other's mouths and do this and do that and make sure that we're doing the right thing. So I give the courtesy of a response, you know, and maybe that's to my downfall as I should probably like some people are commenting market spam. Well, if I'm marking it spam, that's just one address that's going to come, you know, but I have CEOs of sites constantly. They'll send three, four emails in a week and it's the same email. They just don't even realize that they're spamming in spring, the same email, the same person. And again, just to wrap it up and I'll pass it to you and, and Rod for your perspective it's, it's the tone of the email. It's the demand. Mm. Send us a CDA. I'm requesting wow. a CDA. What day works for you next <laughs> week to discuss? Like, you don't think I've got a zillion and one things going on over here? What that I just... day next week? Yeah. Guys, yeah. what the heck is wrong with you guys if you're sending these kind of emails? <laughs> did, did you get my email? <laughs> you know, I think I missed yours, Rod. <laughs> oh, my God. this is great okay so you're right you have a lot of good points okay i guess before we get into me and rod's take um is there any kind of email that would possibly work for you to receive you know i'm sure there's so yeah (laughs) (laughs) asking for everyone watching (laughs) you know Here's the, so I think not to, not to, I want to address your question, but let's talk about clinicaltrials.gov and what the statuses actually mean, right? Because this is a big thing. And because, because the answer to your question, Dan, is yes, there is an email that would probably catch my attention, but 99.9% of them don't fall into this category for the following reason. Tone is number one. Number two is the, the overall recruitment status. So when you go on clinicaltrials.gov and you're looking at interventional studies and you're looking it up by indication, geographic region, start date, phase, whatever, 
you know, there's a status of the study. And, and I'm reading this right now from the sponsor end of the clinicaltrials.gov. There are eight statuses, okay? And they are not yet recruiting. So that's when you get, you know, study may proceed. You're in the startup phase. You're, you're doing site selection. You're doing budget contract negotiation. And we have our, our study listed on clinicaltrials.gov, which is by regulation, we have to, especially after the end of a phase you know, two meeting, you get permission to proceed to phase three, for example, you, you list your study. It's, you know, the same NCT number, the same IND number, and you list it and you would put the status not yet recruiting. Folks, this is, it. This is about patients, not sites, recruiting patients, not sites. Then the next status is recruiting. When you have your FBI slated and you've been, you know, you're ready to turn on the light switch. Now we're recruiting. Again, we're recruiting patients, not sites. Okay. The next status is enrolling by invitation, active, not recruiting, active. That's when the site has closed screening and enrollment. They've met their milestones. Now the studies and maintenance. Then the next status is completed, followed by suspended, followed by terminated, followed by withdrawn. So as you can see, recruiting means that we're recruiting subjects. I can't say that enough because again, 99.9% .9 of those emails, Dan says, I see you're recruiting on clinicaltrials.gov for you know clinical trial NCT dot, 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 dot. And, you know, I, I try to be very nice in my response. And I'm like, well, this is in referral to subjects, not sites. We're actually fully committed, but we'll retain your information and we'll reach out if you know additional sites are needed. So I think number one, understanding the actual recruitment status and what it means if you're trying to win a study, that's number one. And number two, I, I don't think there's anywhere that any sponsor is by some regulation obligated to, to go under a CDA with a prospective site. That's just not how this process works during feasibility. Right. I only go under a CDA if I you know conduct a preliminary feasibility assessment and that's where we get to that point in the process, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's a culmination of all that, Dan. And if the if the email is worded in a manner of, hey, you know, on this site, like you mentioned, here's here's my prop value. Here's what I have to offer. Here's how long we've been in the industry. We have a proven track record. We worked with these type of sponsors. You know, that's what I'm looking for. But the the folks that send over, you know, hi, we are so and so. We're located here. We have a rich database. We think that we could be fit. These doctors are really interested in your study. Um, you know, please send a CDA at your earliest convenience and let me know what day next week you have available to discuss the study. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So basically don't be entitled uh, when you write these things to push back. Well, you're absolutely right with like, I can't stand people from any context sending email. That's entire. I get those two um, not to give them a study, but more to like, Hey, let's schedule a call when convenient for you. It's like, Oh, it's never convenient for me. Um, I get what you're saying. There are some people I will respond to and others I won't. And generally, I agree with you. It's based on tone and degree of entitlement that exudes from what I'm reading. hundred percent agree. All right. So with that being said, 
if you don't send an entitled email, and I want Rod's take on this too. Like, let me just send you, I pulled randomly, Robert, <clears throat> an email I sent right before Thanksgiving for an obesity study. I don't know if we're going to get it. Here's all I said. My name is Dan Sferra. I run Yuma's only multi-therapeutic site. Our PI is Yuma's largest independent private practice and treats a large and diverse group of obese patients, most of whom are research naive. We would be very interested in participating in this trial. If additional sites are needed, I would be happy to send CDA and feasibility ASAP. That's it. That's all I said. That's usually yeah, I'll what tell I do. You what, I, I don't put much more than that if I send one out either. I'll tell you what mine typically says. Um, let me find it though. What do you think, well, Robert, about this? No, I, I, I just said the key word there was if. If you're looking for site, see that way I can benevolently reply to you, Mr. Sfero. Thank you so much for reaching out. You know, at this time we either are or are not looking for additional sites. However, you know we will retain your information for future consideration. You know, when the time presents itself, I'll reach back out so we can do a formal introduction. And if we, you know, both mutually see fit, we can go under a CDA if, if the shoe fits, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I the 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 key word there, Dan, is if you yeah. didn't say if you are, you know, we are looking to do this and send me the CDA, like you're you're expecting them to respond to you, yeah. right? Yeah. And and what sites need to understand, and not to keep beating this to a dead horse, but there are hundreds of these emails coming in on a, on a, on a weekly basis, hundreds, you know? So my big thing is, and I'm not disparaging the tactic a, a little bit. I am, but not really. Right. Cause again, I I'm in the school of thought where, look, if you're an established site and you have a good track record with the CROs, they're going to continuously award you studies. Absolutely. And dad, just to piggyback off of your Viva thing, right? If you're part of an organization using Viva and you're on that list, right? And I get that list, I'm going, you know, or if, whether it's from an IRB or if it's from a CRO or if it's from Viva, like this, these are trusted sources. You, you know, you're, you're shooting it, you're throwing an arrow at the wall, hoping it sticks in the middle of the board. And most of the time, I have to tell you, without some good feasibility or a recommendation from somebody, whether it's internally, externally, whether it's from a current vendor, whether it's from a CRO partner, I'm not going to just gamble on what a site's telling me. And the reason for that is I've been burned as recently as six months ago. I was promised the world. And the, the site owner was willing to put verbiage in the CTA that I would, I, I've never even heard of before, but legal came back and said, no, Robert, we can't do that. But the point is, I was like, oh, he's willing to sign it. Maybe he knew something I didn't know really at the time, you know, that they hold, he'll never get away with putting this type of verbiage clause in the CTA. But the fact is he was willing to sign it and put it in there. So I'm like, you know what, what do I have to lose? Long story short, I lost a lot, lost a lot on that one. It was a, it was a huge dent. Rod, what's your take on all this, man? I was going to say it's always tough to know what sites, unless unless you've worked with them or they have a track record that you can look at. So my email typically just says, hello, we are a 16-year-old research sub clinic in the suburbs of Indianapolis. Our research site would be very interested in knowing more about your study. If you're looking for additional sites or patients, I look forward to hearing back to you. 
from you. Have a good day. But you're right. I mean, that is a shot in the dark. Um, the real problem is, is most sites don't know where to look for studies. Uh, even with the sponsors they're working with, they don't know how to get a hold of those studies in certain indications. You know, you might be doing an indication in, in NASH, but you want to do a weight loss study in that with that same company. How do you get to that company? Because I know once it's on clinicaltrials.gov, it's too late usually. You've already picked your sites. So where That's does a, the site get? If it wasn't One for good way would be Vivo. There's Vivo. always hope. There's always hope. No, but Rod, that's a great point, you know, and I think that's a solution and a problem that, you know, hopefully there's some tech people watching this, this video and that they can, you know, this is a, this is a problem that we need a solution to, right? Clinicaltrials.gov is antiquated. Yeah. They're pushing out the, you know, the beta version. They're trying to make it more modern, but you're, you're absolutely, I, I, I have empathy for you and I understand like, where else do you turn? How do how are you in the know of upcoming, you know, work. And honestly, I think that that has a lot to do with the CROs. They're aware of their back to book bill ratio. They've been awarded $1.5 billion of work that hasn't even started yet. They know what studies are in the pipeline. So, you know, I, I'm not sure the answer to that, but I think something needs to be made and we need to have more dialogue with the, with people in our industry to develop something that gives sites the intelligence on what's coming up q1 of 2023 q2 of 2023 and so forth so that you have an awareness of it versus you know taking a shot in the dark that that nine times out of ten you know isn't going to yield you any fruit and dan i hate to liken this but it's kind of like that recruitment discussion we had right mm -hmm. if you spray out a thousand emails and you get five responders People are going to continue this behavior because it's pray, it's, pray it's working, right? What I what I'm trying to do when I send mine. So first of all, like I completely agree with you, like with the tone and being entitled. That's not a good thing. Also, another thing I hate people send like paragraphs with attachments. Nobody's gonna read that, guys. That's that belongs on Kindle. You can sell it on Kindle, ninety nine cents. Maybe someone buys it. <laughs> no one's gonna read this email. What I'm hoping for. So there's a couple of things when I, when I really want a study. So that example of one I, I just read, it's not really one I really want. It's a shot in the dark. I'm hoping I could get it. It was a small enough company to where I think that that contact, I could find other people if I want to follow up using LinkedIn. I think that's a more appropriate way. Research, actual research the company a little bit when i really want to study i will do that and talk a little more um i guess sophisticated about the company and our role our context but really like rod said it's shot in the dark i mean i'm hoping for either a rescue site that's needed if i really have that indication and i'm hoping that one out of those 10 that i send will say you know what yeah well here's the cda i mean we actually are looking and Yuma or Indianapolis, it's a good location. We don't have, we don't have too many sites there. Let me give you some advice that, I, and I, and I think it would take a little bit. And again, I want your feedback, Dan Rod. I think from from my perspective, 
you know, the worst, there's two things that happen. Number one is if I'm running a pain study, let's just call it that. And you tell me that you have board certified physicians in cardiology, gastroenterology, that doesn't help me. Like, why are you reaching out to, for a study that clearly says, you know, treat using this compound to treat this pain, right? Like this has nothing to do with it. So that's one thing that that's like a big misnomer. And I know why that's a spam, you know, spray and spam. The other part is if you are an actual analgesic interventional pain facility, you have doctors who are in this specialty, right? Put some metrics behind in the previous studies in this space, we've enrolled X amount of patients. We've screened this amount of patients. We were the top enroller. We were the middle enroller. We exceeded or met our um, site recruitment plan, you know, expectations. We continuously put some metrics behind that because then I'm like, wow, this is actually a pain site. This is actually, they have, they've done X amount of studies within the past five years. They've met their, like that would intrigue me more than just seeing about, you know, if you have experience in this indication, if you've never done a study with, you know, then we get on the phone and I find out you've never done a study in the past two and a half years through the COVID pandemic. I'm not gonna, this is not the right thing for me. You know, I, I, because at the end of the day, I'm responsible for the delivery to my executive management team and I'm working within an operational budget. We're an investor funded company. So, you know, this is not like we have approved products. I mean, you have to be very careful with the funding and you select the wrong site. That's a $60,000 mistake, right? Mm -hmm. Startup fees, trial retention fees, closeout fees, pharmacy, pharmacy startup fee. You know, that's a big, that's, and that, that can really add up, you know? So you, you do that five times, Dan, that's 300 grand, you know, and some budgets are higher, some budgets are lower. So I'm just saying it, it can really prove to be a costly mistake. And that's why, you know, sponsors, I don't care, large, big or small, they're a little bit gun shy and, and as they should be, because, where's your metrics, you know, so put some metrics in those emails. I think that would be really helpful. What are your thoughts? I think that's great. Like when, when we actually do have experience in an indication and I have the time, I'll throw some metrics in there, even if they're approximations, I'll throw it in there. And now we have, we have e-source so I could easily go see, okay, past study This is what we have. But Rod, why do we do this? (laughs) <laughs> why do we do why do we send emails and, and that shot in the dark and well it goes back to what we were saying i mean sites don't necessarily unless they have a way of if they have somebody a representative a, a monitor a um, physician that they know that works with the sponsor then they can go to the sponsor and say look we've done xyz and we want to continue doing XYZ studies with you. But those people were very difficult to find, let alone find the person after you've started the study from the sponsor to talk to about the study. So, so you're, in a, you're an established site, right? Like my, I am, my site, but... Yuma Clinical Trail, it's only been around a little over a year. So, yeah, I mean, there's still ROI for me to do it. And I'll actually never stop if I really want the study to use this strategy. I'll probably incorporate more of what 
what Robert's been saying, but like if you've been doing it for 18 years, right. With your site, like there's still value in doing this, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been doing it for 16 years and we still, because some, well, for example, Nash, there were no Nash studies five years ago. So um, that's one that we went after. Um, now, Grant, you, in retrospect, I'm thinking about it. I believe we've worked with that sponsor, but it's so hard to get to those other indications, even within the sponsor, um, because you don't, they don't, it doesn't feel like they keep good metrics on the sites. So if I'm looking for a NASH study with uh, Merck, for example, let's just say, and I've done a, a, a different study with Merck, those, those people with, within the study don't know anything about the NASH study or that team and who to talk to. So the site's kind of at a loss and then that's when you, end, you hear about the study you end up, or you see it on clinicaltrials.gov. Um, a lot of sites will try to, I'm going to say this, a lot of sites will, net, will, will network with other sites and try to find out, do you know about this study? If they haven't heard about it. Because this might be an indication they're trying to get into. And there's actually sites like experience sites that share these leads with others. So no. if there's like, um, like people who would email Robert, it's not always because of clinicaltrials.gov. It might be other sites that are sharing your info with those sites. Now, sometimes it's obvious it's from clinicaltrials.gov when they put the NCT number, you could tell. Or they they say, like like you said, hey, I saw this on clinicaltrials.gov. But other times it's a colleague. So how do you respond, Robert, when it's a colleague of mine <clears throat> suggested that I should contact you because perhaps you're in need of rescue sites? A whole lot different. That's it's better? Whole, yeah, it's, it's exponentially better. Um, you know, again, it, it all comes back to that trust, that trust factor, you know, um, whether or not you're a current site, whether or not you are a former site, the fact that it's a referral, um, you know, it, it, it just holds a lot more. I mean, it just provides a little bit more comfort to me to explore the opportunity with them. And if it does, if it's not a current opportunity, maybe it's a future opportunity. But I think you're right, Dan. I mean, more sites need to link with each other share leads and but I, I I feel like you know that there's a little bit of a competition on the site level and it's kind of like a, a you know a physician giving their patient off to your PI Dan you know for his study now he loses that patient so you know it's it's you know is that site you're going to give you know the lead to going to perform better than you and now the sponsors are going to use that site and no longer you so I just feel like there's a little bit of that you know, competition in the background that's preventing sites from really having this dialogue that's needed. I don't think there's any harm in that because look, Dan, if I'm a, if you're a trusted site and you tell me Rod's phenomenal, I'm going to, I'm going to call up Rod and I'm going to do like a verbal feasibility. And then I'll direct the CRO to either execute a CDA or, or not. And then we'll send the synopsis over immediately. And, you know, then Rod will say whether or not he, you know, thinks this is a good fit reputation in this industry is everything, I think, you know? And so I, I mean, 
if he doesn't show up or he does show up for the site, I mean, it's, you know, for the study, at least the recommendation came from a reputable source that I trust versus just, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so and here's all my promises. And, you know, it, there's no way to gauge what the ROI on that statement is going to be until I give them a shot. Now, I'm the first one to say I have given those shots in the dark. I have brought on sites where I've had no working relationship with them. The CROs had no working relationship with them. And, and I've been burned 100% of the time. So, so you know, yes, referrals from, from trusted sources is, is great. I will make, I will, will say one thing um, that I think is more, I don't be believe it, but in the fact that uh, physicians should not feel like they're going to lose that patient if they refer them, because we don't want to keep that patient for anything other than a research study. We're not treating them. We're not prescribing them. Uh, now, are there are sites that do that? Maybe there is, but uh, most of my 16 years, I don't know of sites that still research patients and then put them in their practice. Having said that, I can't say it's not done. Now, the other thing I was going to say, if I can, gosh, I hope I remember these. I had three points I was going to make. That was the one. Oh, the other about sites. Um, it's gone. I'm sorry. I don't remember what the other two points were. Don't, it'll come back to me. That's okay. The, as far as the patients, you know, most of the doctors I work with, they don't want more patients. <laughs> they want more research patients. They don't want more private practice patients. Right. But Dan, what I'm trying to say in Rod, and I agree with you guys, but what I'm saying is even that acute loss for that specific indication, you know, it, it's, it's, it, maybe it's going to last six months. Maybe it's going to last a year. Maybe it's three months. They, it's still a dent in the revenue clinic stream. I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying this, ha like this is a, you know, this is, you know, widespread, but there is a misconception to why providers don't offer studies as an alternative viable treatment option to patients, whether it's their lack of understanding of how it works, whether it's, you know, the reason I just mentioned, or, or it's another reason we haven't mentioned. I think there's a little bit of disconnect between, between what Rod and you have said, you know, you, you don't have an intention on retaining this patient and the PI doesn't have any intention on retaining this patient in their private practice to continue to treat this, this you know, the disease under study. It's a temporary thing, but that temporary thing is still an acute loss from a revenue perspective. And I think that's where the missing link is, where they may or may not understand that. And so, you know, I'm all about making sure that patients have access. They at least have a choice to be made. You know, do you want to do this? You know, and, and most of them aren't even aware that this is a viable treatment option. You know, before I went to the sponsor site, I was doing a Parkinson study. Um, you know, and let's just say it's one of the, you know, top three academic institutions of higher learning in the country that people travel all over the world to, to come get treatment at this particular place. And I was doing de novo Parkinson's patients, you know, newly diagnosed. It was a combination therapy that was more effective together than it was on monotherapy. And, you know, I would call up the PI and ask him, you know, Hey, what's going on with recruitment? He's like, Robert, I, I forgot. 
I saw a de novo patient. I, I just forgot. Well, it, you know, that's okay. You forgot, but are you doing a disservice to the patient by forgetting that there, it was an actual potentially safer, potentially more efficacious option for their newly diagnosed situation that they're very worried about. Instead, the knee jerk was just to start treatment on, you know, resedulene, which is a very commonly prescribed drug for de novo diagnosed patients in Parkinson's. So, you know, the question begs to be answered is, is it a disservice to the patient? Maybe. And and that's what I'm trying to say, right? It's not, it's nothing more than that. It's just, they forgot, or it's just not on the top of their mind because they're just not, you know, recalling this as a viable option treatment. But I mean, I, I don't mean to digress from the, the topic of the discussion here, but, um, I'm not worried about patients and doctors, you know, keeping, I'm just talking about why are sites not communicating with one another? Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I know that Dan and I, and we, we have a a good amount of sites that we communicate with on a regular basis. So, Oh yeah. um, We send study leads all the time. Um, I have a service that sends study leads to um, clients across the country Matter of fact, one of the things I started teaching clients is how to integrate LinkedIn with clinicaltrials.gov because, and it works better for small companies like yours, Robert, actually, like if you really want a study, you're not going to go after like Pfizer, you know, using LinkedIn, you're going to find thousands of people on there. I mean, the, the algorithm tries to show you who you think, who's most likely to reply, like who you're more likely connected to and the algorithm the algorithm smarter than we are guys but like when it's a small company and you get a lead let's say from clinicaltrials.gov and then you go on maybe you find robert but then you go on linkedin and you type that same company on there you might see robert and a few other people right so now if it's a study you really want you can reach out to all three all four however many there are but come at it from a different perspective, like really study what their role is in the study. All right. Figure out like, okay, this person's in charge. I think of feasibility, this person's the CEO, but it doesn't hurt to reach out to all of them with LinkedIn. And especially when essentially, you're done your Dan, diligence. Essentially we're still doing the same thing now. We're yeah. sending emails mm-hmm. to, to these people we haven't met yet or maybe we have on LinkedIn. Um, the real problem is that study sites don't know where to look for studies. Yeah, that's and the real, I mean, that is the real problem. And then, and then the problem for us as sponsor, at least on my, you know, and the sponsor side is you, now you've found the study, how, how do I gauge? Validate us. Validate you and what's the trust score exactly. But so you, know, it's, it's, you know what, to play devil's advocate, like, Sites don't know where to look. Let's pretend like there was a, a list, like a magical list where any site that wanted a study can go there and any sponsor that wanted a site can go there, right? I suspect it would be so efficient that the barrier to entry would be extremely difficult for new sites to get studies because it would it would just be a closed system And so this actually incentivizes sites to say, hey, you know what? Because there isn't something like this, like this utopia, 
I'm just going to send 10 more emails today before I leave the office because I know if I'm doing it, my competitor's not. That's not to say they need to be entitled when they write it and all that, but the lack of this, Rod, is actually it's an opportunity for sites that are willing to work a little harder and give them a chance to get experience. Rob is telling you it's a shot in the dark that, mm -hmm. that he may even respond. So we're spending however much time. Like I'll spend, I always go through um, clinicaltrials.gov because I might have missed a study. I may, you know, maybe I didn't get contacted. Um, but uh, they're there and that's, and it's usually at that point, you've already selected your site. So it's, if you need a backup or, you know, or something down the road changes where you might want another site. But again, for, for some of these small sites that haven't been doing this for a long time, that's what ends up, they end up doing. And even if there is a site like myself, like we went through a period where we did a ton of diabetic studies or those aren't there now like for us, like they were in the past, we've moved on to, you know, another set of type of studies. Um, and yes, we do get referrals from, from those companies. What ends up happening typically in the real world, in the real world of sites is you might get an, like we had an IBS study. We worked with two or three companies. It went from a phase 1B, 2A, 3, phase 3, and then we were done and never really got much of anything else from them because that team was only working on IBS. Um, and then, the, you know, I assume the team gets disbanded and they go to different indications. So, and the, a lot of those people aren't the people that make the decisions on who the next site will be for that next in indication that they're working on. So it's not always feasible that we get to continue with one sponsor because there isn't a go-to person is really what it boils down to for that sponsor. Or if there is, they don't last in that job very long. It doesn't feel like they might be a ter territorial um, uh, physician that does, uh, what am I trying to say, Dan? The physicians that do the uh, they're like a they're not a drug rep but they're the monitors that, oh, or they're the, the CSO yeah, yeah. So yeah. but those people are far and few between and hard to find for the man science. my PI just got us a good one I might share it with you Rod once they do the assessment <laughs> you might see yeah, no, no. <laughs> they're doing the SSB. They're doing the SSB. That, okay, well, hold on. That was the point I was going to make before. Is <laughs> sites shouldn't be afraid if Dan's in Yuma, Arizona. I'm in Indianapolis. We shouldn't be afraid to share leads with each other. No, absolutely. We're not going to compete with each other. Right. I yeah. Mean, no, absolutely not. I might even if you want a diverse type of study, you're going to get a, a different ethnic group than I am. In always, always diversity regions, especially. I mean, even when there's sites in Arizona, I share the study leads. What I said about by might this is a study the PI got through his medical science liaison, so it's actually his contact coming in. So before I like screw it up for him, 
I'm going to actually ask this lady. This is like the right way to do it. I'm going to ask this lady when she comes to our site, hey, I know a few other sites if you're interested. They usually, when you ask them that, they always say yes. Always. Yes. Always. I remember when Robert came, I asked him the same thing. When Robert came to my site, I said, hey, and I think I might have sent you that one too, Rod. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, but I think the window was, was um, we were a rescue site. But for this new one that my PI got, it's a brand new. They're not planning until June. So I know we have time. And I'm going to actually ask her the right way. Like, hey, can I send you a few sites that I'm, I'm connected with? 95% um, of the time they say yes. That's why I said, Mike, there's a 5% that it's that she says no, but I doubt it. I'm going to ask both of you a question that's kind of off the subject. We're doing Zoom here, and most of the meetings are done by Zoom now, virtually the investigative meetings. My opinion is, yes, you're saving a lot of money doing it this way, but you're not getting the quality that you would get from the sites if they were doing an actual in-person <clears throat> investigative meeting i think in the long run these uh, these sponsors are going to find out they would have been better off doing in-person meetings that's my little rant for today though yeah there have been about 50 50 um this one that's coming for the study starting in june um it's in person but i just had one where we're a rescue site both the ssv and the siv were virtual so I don't mind those. I mind the investigative meeting being that way. I feel like wow. as a site, we learn so much more if we're actually there. That's doing true. You know what it is, Rod? You, you have, you know, a, a, a long tenure of experience. So you know the benefit of in-person versus virtual. You know, if you pull 60 sites as a sponsor and say, hey, how many of you are willing to travel? To an investigator meeting, eighty percent are going to say no. Yeah, you know, my PI says no. So I, I mean, th there you go. If it's in Paris, I said sometimes they're in Paris, France. Sometimes they're in Rome, Italy. He said, especially if they're that far. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I agree wholeheartedly that the benefit of in person, the connection, the training, the breakout sessions, it's it's night and day. You're, you know, the, the return on the investment is, and I, and I don't really think it's a, it's not because we're not willing to invest in an in-person meeting. It's, it's pulling the sites and asking who's willing to go, because again, we're not going to have an in-person investigator meeting if 20% of our active sites are going to show up. <laughs> well, right? you know, who ends up going is people like me and Rod, <laughs> well, it, which and is we fine. share with all the rest of our colleagues, like, Hey, we want to my need add our PI, like my PIs doesn't want to go to those things, even for this one that he got us. Like he actually got the one that I said, Rod, I might send it to you. He actually got this study to us. First time ever, by the way, a PI got me a study through their MSL. Like usually I'm the one saying, Hey, MSL. I asked the sales reps. He, he did it. He's like, call this lady. I met her today. She's the MSL. They have a study starting in June. So then that's who, even this study that he's never been more excited about a study in his life, he wouldn't go to the investigator meeting. <laughs> he's too busy. He's got, and isn't that like the catch 22 yeah. as a sponsor, you need the physicians that are busy, that have a busy private practice 
Like that's actually good for you because you're not relying on these stupid central recruiters that don't do a, anything. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna keep it clean for Viva, all right. <laughs> Versus the the PIs that actually treat patients in their office as well. So, but the catch twenty two is those same guys and gals, they don't have time to take three days out of their day to go fly somewhere. That's like sixty patients they could have seen. Yeah, no, it's it, 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 that's you know that's that's part of it. You're right; it, it is a catch twenty two. But I think uh, the value that Rod mentioned is you know you just can't replace that over a Zoom. No, and I wanted to add another thing. You know, no in one terms pays attention of just, either on Zoom. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. You know, um, they've in, they know they've introduced these polls and you know click here, click there, enter your comment, and they've got all these like cool. <laughs> you know, different things like to make it interactive, but it, it, it doesn't replace that in-person connection, right? Where you're sitting at a table and you're talking and, you know, one person hears a question. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to say, no matter how large of a phase three study, a phase two study, whatever, phase four post-market surveillance study, you know, yes, sponsors will come with 20, 30 sites, and as a sponsor, you know, we have to, we, if we want to chase down um, 50 sites for a pivotal phase three study, we have to approach 150. It's a three to one ratio, right? So my point in saying that is it's, you know, sometimes sponsors will come because remember, I have a lot of CRO experience too. So when I was working as a CTM project manager, startup lead um, on the CRO side, you know, large sponsors, large ones, huge ones would come to us. And, and literally I would look at their site list and it's 20 sites, 30 sites, you know, that they would really like to use. And we, of course, approach these sites and it's the same three to one, you know, shot. It's you're going to get 10, less than 10 of those 30 sites who are willing to participate. Yep. And then you lean on your CRO to provide the other sites based on historical performance. So I think the model of looking for sites has to change a little bit because how do you get those sites that are could be super well-qualified, phenomenal work, but they just don't have that track record yet, right? They have experienced CRCs. They hired a, a CRC with 20 years of experience. They've got dedicated staffs. They got dedicated phlebotomy. They have on-site imaging. They have all these fancy, you know, parts of their site that make them a phenomenal infrastructure. But then as a sponsor, I'm contracting out this startup feasibility to the CRO and I'm depending on them to identify the sites. Those damn CROs. <laughs> you know, so it's like they're all, yeah, they're, they're kind of in the middle there. So, I mean, at I, the I end hear of the day, they need to be able to recruit is really what it boils down to. Yeah, can exactly. you get patients or not? But isn't that... Like you just said, okay, for like, let's say you need 50 sites, you need 150 to explore. Mm -hmm. So isn't there a window? And this is the thing. Nobody knows when that window is for each individual. But isn't there a window where your inbox is more receptive to these kind of messages if they're not like written by someone who's entitled and demanding? I mean, yeah, but but Dan, like in the reality here, like this is I'm just going to tell you the true truth. Yeah. What happens is I take that referral, that person who emails me and I forward it to the study startup lead at the CRO. And I go, Hey, here's a site that's interested in the study. Now what they do with that information, I don't know. Okay. You know, do they act on it? Do they actually send out a, a feasibility questionnaire? You. Do you know, and then they'll come back to me 
and quite honestly, I, I don't keep track of, you know, what site to and that and, oh, this site, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I referred this site to you. And now is Robert, is it okay if we execute a CDA? And I'm like, sure, go ahead. You know, I look at their, you know, site feasibility questionnaire. So it, it's very challenging because, you know, I get that information and all I can do with it is send it over. Unless it's like a site where I have firsthand experience. I monitored there once upon a time. Yeah, no, fair I, enough, fair I enough. know the PI and I'm like, you know, let, let's go ahead to CDA with this site. I'd but be typically doing the I same thing. I, yeah. I'm known as the king of forwards and I'd be forwarding, <laughs> abusing the hell out of that forward button. Once I know you've read it, I send another one. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Robert, last thing, I guess, um, unless Rod has something else to or unless Rod, did you think of those two things, two other things? Well, I did. I, th- I mean, I said, you know, losing patience to uh, the PI thinks they're going to lose patience, oh, okay. and us, us um, feeling like the other site's going to steal our study. And yeah, that's asinine to me. That's, you know, that's the, just that's crazy. Really but never all of this that, is kind of like a dance. Kind of like never beating. had that. I've never had that mentality of like. Even in when I was in California, Southern California, like you could throw a rock. There's another clinic on the next street. Even there, we'd be sharing study leads with each other because I know. Okay, if if I share with you, you're going to share with me. Rod and I share leads a lot, actually. Rod is like one of my main dudes. I share leads with Rod, Brad, um, Robert. What I was going to ask my my last question because I'm actually interested in this. Clinicaltrials.gov is for patients. Like your email is there because patients, in theory, if they're interested, they're asking you questions and then you would refer them to the site near them, right? Right. What's the ratio of study uh, site directors or owners to patients that email you? (laughs) Oh, boy. I mean, (laughs) 95. The other way around. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's 95% site owners, directors, and, you know, 5% patients. So you do have patients from time to time. Yeah, we do. And and it's funny because I got a referral um, and I sent it directly to, you know, our, our partners at the CRO and they have like, you know, SOPs in place where they can't reach out because there's PHI there and there's direct information. Cause you know, they, they just can't directly. So they have to funnel it through me. And then I, I have to connect them with the particular site that's closest to their home. So that's the reason why I don't want to remove and put some generic yeah. email box, because if you look, there's a lot so that's of what Pfizer does Pfizer, Eli, Lilo, they all put generic. Really? And Dan, yeah. even, uh, even the small biotech studies that are new coming to you, they even have generic, um, you know, email addresses. And that's a tremendous disservice to the patients. I just don't want to do that because I've been successful in having real legitimate patients reach out, you know, who, you know, whether, you know, then there's the argument, oh, these are professional patients who knows how to use clinicaltrials.gov. You got to have a course in that alone. Right. Yeah. But whatever the case may be, they've reached out and they're le- legitimately interested they have this condition and they're 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 truly seeking help and i think that's the whole intention of it but you know there's people commenting on my post that oh it's like so go go tell somebody not to advertise on social media you know that's just things are things are going to happen and and i get it i just think i'm i'm trying to go back to the roots here 
But now I also have a better understanding of things that Rod mentioned and you mentioned, Dan, right? Where else do you guys go as, as an organization? And maybe this is something that has to be, you know, um, discussed more, right? There, there needs to be more collaboration between sites. But then Dan and Rod, I'll have one question for you. Yeah. You know, what if some random site comes to you and says, hey, Rod, you know, I'm so-and-so from this place, you know, got any leads for me? And they're a brand new site. Are you, I mean, are, are you so no. quick to jump and help them and put your reputation on the line? Because now your company is associated with this particular site. And yeah. so do, do you see what I'm saying? Like how the answer quick is are, no, no, okay. I wouldn't. Well, it's I, no for Dan. How about for Rod? The answer is probably also no. A lot, but we, but we try to figure out who they are and, and where they're from and what they've been doing before we do that. Yes, we're pretty particular on who we share with, but we don't turn them right off the bat, turn them away necessarily. We, we try to figure out who they are and yeah. what, but see, know, what so fact they are. That, that proves the point that I'm trying to make here. You know, that vetting, it's the same type of vetting you're doing on your end that I'm yeah. trying to do on my end. And so there's still a barrier to entry. We actually created a service for that. We created a service for that where we'll charge like a monthly fee. It's $1,300 a month, um, month to month to help sites in those situations. But once there's someone like Rod or Brad, somebody that I know, Robert, like I actually can't remember, but I'm almost 100% sure I either gave Rod your email or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure which study it was, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> but I have to go back and look. I'm going to go back and look now, obviously. But, but Robert's absolutely right because I'm not like Rod or Brad or somebody else that I've worked with in the past. I know they're not going to drop the ball for me. I mean, they're going to be a good site. Like at minimum, they're going to be a good site and not cause problems for Robert. I don't know if they're going to enroll or not, but they're at least not going to drop the ball for Robert and make me look bad. All right. But if it's Joe Schmo that I never heard of, like, no, we can't, we have a service for you. Here's watch this video on how to use clinicaltrials.gov. Like I send them to this stuff. Like, yeah, you know, go send these emails. Now I'm going to send them this interview. I send them to Dan's videos a lot too. Yeah. Or to follow yeah. Dan. Because there's, there's a good, not not to sound entitled when you send emails, but there's a good practice of daily looking at clinicaltrials.gov when you don't have studies, learning what you can about that study, emailing or connecting on LinkedIn with the study directors or people in charge and trying to position yourself to get that study. It's actually a good habit when you're a new site to do this. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like dating. <laughs> For the site <laughs> and for the sponsor, except we don't have a good place to go to meet. We need a Tinder for, for clinical research. Though. Yeah, so there I you break. go. So exactly. I break. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it, guys. I mean, unless you guys have anything else to add, Robert, it was a good topic, man. No, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And you know, I'm already seeing some emails come into my uh, to my work email that people are seeing my post on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, this is not directed towards any organization. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I just want to make that clear that this is not, you know, this is not directed towards any particular organization. And 
also, you know, my, my opinions are, are strictly those of my own and these have nothing to do with um, who I'm employed by, but you know, these are just friendly tips. I, I, I want to see everybody successful. Again, I think like Dan mentioned, we all have a common goal, patient centricity. We're here for them. Um, we all want to bring, you know, new therapies to market for those who need them cliche, but true. And I just think there's a, you know, there's a, there's a good, better and best way of, of conducting business. And I think it's important to recognize the barriers to entry at, you know, from site to site, from sponsor to site, from CRO to sponsor, there's just a lot of different things. It's just not, there's a lot of, you know, nuances involved in really, you know, getting that study awarded to you. It's not just reaching out and sending it because there's just a lot of different steps to be taken before, before you take that road. But I think there's work to be done. Well, we'll definitely do more of these and um, everybody like, subscribe, comment, share. Everybody go follow Robert right now. Go follow Rod right now and let us know what you think about all this. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.